Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Dedication and commitment doesn't come without accountability, usually. Accountability to results, accountability to metrics. The person who tries the hardest doesn't win the gold medal. Is their trying admirable? Absolutely. But, I mean, God save us if we ever have an Olympics where people start getting medals for effort. (laughs) Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. If you haven't already, take some time right now to do the exercise I described in the last episode. Consider what you want that you don't have and frame it as an engagement problem. The source of the gap between what you want and what you don't have lies at the level of your engagement. Consider this. After you give this some deep thought, please continue with the episode and join us as we start surrendering to accountability because dedication and commitment don't come without accountability. And listen up, we've got a brand new live course starting January 10th, 2019, and it's a good one, so I don't want you to miss out. It's called Managing with Inquiry, Create Powerful Change Through Radical Acceptance. If you've tried on the teachings of Clear and Open even just a tiny bit, you already know the real power is not in doing, but in undoing. In this new 11-week course, I'll be teaching you how to use the power of questioning yourself to create radical change. When you have the guts to look in the mirror, I mean really, really look, you can completely undo the limiting beliefs, negative patterns, and untrue but destructive assumptions that are holding you back and fast. I'm extra excited about this new course because I'm changing things up a bit and making this one a very hands-on workshop. You're going to get the kind of attention usually only my one-on-one clients get at a fraction of the cost. Each week, I'll work with people individually for the benefit of the whole group. It's a great way to learn. And you're going to learn how to use inquiry with others so you can uncover the power of your colleagues and employees as well. It really does work. I'm predicting this will be the most powerful course I've ever taught because of the results I've seen in trying this model with my clients and certainly with myself. You're going to learn how to free up energy, time, and focus by being more in reality than you've ever realized and less in stress anxiety, and overwhelm that you're going to learn you've been making up. Imagine a life where whenever you feel stressed out or upset, you know you're just a few deep questions away from it all disappearing. If that's something you desire, then this course is for you. Find out more at clearandopen.com slash inquiry. That's clearandopen.com slash inquiry. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. It, it occurred to me as you were laying out, I think just about the time you finished your story about the, the self-inflicted one-armed man, <laughs> <laughs> my thought was, oh boy, I signed up for this course. Now I've really stepped in it. Uh, and it also occurred to me somewhere in the last couple of days, whether it was reading something about the course description or something else, Maybe something I heard you say on a on a recent um, re- meeting, either one that I attended or I was listening to the recording because I missed it. That I think I'm going to be challenged with parts of this 
this uh, course in a way that I maybe didn't think of when I told you a couple of weeks ago I was in and I was going to be engaged. Mm. So I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm anticipating some difficulty, some challenge that I'm not necessarily looking forward to, but I just, just, just something that came to me about it. I, I forget what it was exactly. Oh, oh, I know. Metrics. Mm. You may remember about me that oh. I am not a metrics guy. You and, and several other billion people on the planet, for sure. Metrics oh, is something inherently triggering. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, of course. But yeah, I mean, all you got to do is say the word metrics and people sort of start to stiffen and contract, right? Because mm-hmm. that's like the ultimate in accountability. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really looking forward to learning more about shame. Mm-hmm. That's something that we haven't talked about a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those are some of my thoughts going into it. So yeah, thanks for bringing up the concept uh, of how one relates to challenge. And that's another thing because sort of a, the derivative or the corollary of the instant gratification culture that we live in is that nobody likes challenges anymore. Right? Challenges are, are not seen by and large as being engaging. And where there's a codependent loop that happens in management very often is employees will whine consciously or not or show signs of being tired or weary or you know having trouble with challenges and managers too often these days will release them from that rather than inspiring them to rise to it And again, this is largely a cultural thing because challenge is just seen as less valuable for its own sake. You know, it's like people used to seek challenges. You know, that's how teacher-student relationships were, you know, and it's been dying basically since the Renaissance. But, you know, in the old days when you were an apprentice with a blacksmith or a cobbler or a sword maker, you know, that was another way it would show up. You'd say, well, I want to learn how to make swords. I think it's really cool and I want to be like you one day. The swordsmith will say, eh, I'll think about it. Come back another day. And they do that a few times. And then eventually, you know, the student would be allowed to sweep up and occasionally watch. And then after a while, the person would prove through their dedication that the, the teacher would see in actions that the person was really serious because the teacher's taking on something there, right? It's a project and they don't want to waste a bunch of time teaching someone who is a flake. We don't really have this so much in our world anymore, right? You go to any martial arts dojo and you say, I want to sign up. They'll take your check on the spot. You know? So, I'm going to be documenting more of this kind of stuff and I'm going to have a set of guidelines and, and um, rules for engagement and I'm going to make it a course and you're going to have to pass a quiz before you get the meeting invite to these things. I mean, that's minimal, right? But I'm going to do that so I can start to reframe what this is. This isn't school. This is stuff that's really useful ways of thinking that can radically transform your life. 
But if you don't look at it through that lens, it won't work. So what am I to do with that, right? How accountable can I hold people to their lack of engagement? So related to that, in being engaged in this course means you do every one of the assignments that I give you. Now, don't hear that as, well, Joseph's on a power trip and he's going to try to make you do stuff and he's starting a cult in clear and open and his, to create passive income and followers because you know his parents didn't listen to him as a kid and he desperately needs a following to feel good about himself. Sure. Certainly that's possible. But I hope you can hear that where this comes from in me is I've been doing this 16 years, you guys. 16 years. And you know what? 2018 is the year I stopped doing it with disengaged people. Because I'm see- it's affecting my adrenals. I'm exhausted from inspiring people who need to be inspired. Tony Robbins is losing his voice from doing that. It's really a lot of work. And it's not scalable at all. Right? I, can, I have enough energy to supervisorily inspire and, and inject energy into, I don't know, 50, 80 people a month. But I can't do that with 1,000 or even 100. I just, I just get exhausted. So instead, I'm going to make people stand out in the snow in various ways. I'm still figuring that out. But this is the day where I'm waking up and like, okay, I see it now. I've been pulling people into engagement the same way supervisors do, right? I'm the last one to know. I've been ignoring my own teaching about supervision. I've been supervising people in ways and and being hesitant about, for example, locking the meetings because I don't want to upset people or pointing out to them that the instruction that they are looking for was already in an email that I sent them. This kind of thing can be kind of embarrassing. But here's the thing about embarrassment. You learn from it. The studies show, see Brene Brown and all of her wonderful work. I'm a huge fan. The studies show that back to the landmark moment where uh, the guy came in late. And I mean, can you imagine coming in late in front of a room of 150 people and suddenly the leader stops everything and says, why don't you come on up here? Take a seat over by the microphone. Where else are you late in your life chronically? Starts in on you like that in front of 150 people. You'd be sweating like that, right? That's embarrassing. And culturally speaking, in most cultures, embarrassing people is considered quite mean, right? Especially in Asian cultures. They're really sensitive to shame. However, the studies show that when you embarrass someone, they learn faster. As distinct from, and I'll define these later on in the course, humiliating someone unduly. So what the studies show is when you embarrass, when you hold them accountable in a semi-public setting, or it could be private, you can embarrass someone one-on-one. But when you embarrass someone for good reason, like you've defined that being on time is important in that course, and then they come in late a few times, they deserve that embarrassment, you could say. When that's the case, they learn. When you embarrass them for reasons that are not okay or go too far, 
which I would define as humiliation, they don't learn. They resist reasonably. So in other words, embarrassment works if we define it as you know, it's a, uh, appropriately, appropriate and factual, right? You're holding someone accountable to something that is actually true. It works. It works. So how do you relate to embarrassment, right? When you're feeling embarrassed because you show up late somewhere or you drop a ball or something, when that embarrassment rises in you, it's itchy, right? Embarrassment's kind of itchy. Do you relate to it as like, oh, I don't like this feeling. How fast can I make it go away? Or do you welcome it with open arms and go, yeah, ah, oh, I deserve to be embarrassed. I totally screwed up and I'm going to sit here and bask in my red face and sweaty armpits for a little while because I know I'm learning from it. Just like the pain you feel lifting dumbbells. Just like the headache you have from studying Descartes for two hours or whatever it is. That's emotionally productive pain. In other words, you can use it. And I do sometimes too. But of course, I've got to be incredibly careful, don't I? Because I would love to productively embarrass some of you guys. But you might freak out because it might go into a shame bucket. You might experience humiliation even though it's actually healthy embarrassment. But I would offer that this is some of the highest forms of management where there's an agreement, a trust, and a maturity in both people such that the manager isn't over-embarrassing the person, which would go into humiliation territory, and the employee is mature enough to say, yeah, I deserve this. And not go, oh, you're just making an example of me because you're, you're a cult leader, you know, and you're just on an ego trip. You were late three times today. And now suddenly the leader is on the shopping block. You know, that's an excuse. An excuse from what? It's a deflection from having to feel the embarrassment, which is where the learning is. So I've grown a ton in the last 20 years. And I have had uh, teachers, I had one in particular, who embarrassed me probably every week for 12 years. Not fun. <laughs> Not fun. But it built in me a resilience, a shame resilience, which is a Brene Brown term. It built in me a shame resilience that I wouldn't trade the world for. Because that moment, that moment where you're embarrassed is inevitably, and sometimes it's between you and life, you know? You ever, you know, walk down the sidewalk and you've got something on your mind and suddenly you trip on a curb or kick a curb or walk into a car, a parked car, right? We've all walked into a parked car. Now, is that some of, one of the most clumsy things you could do? It's parked. Right? You're looking at your phone or you're looking at the sky, or a couple of days ago, a woman caught my eye and I walked into a lamppost. I was like, okay, I deserve that. <laughs> Head should be facing the direction that the feet are going. And I was held accountable. I was held accountable by the laws of physics. If you look one way and walk another, bad things happen. And I went, okay, got it. 
Don't be distracted. Stay focused. Right? That's what happens. If you're not paying attention, you fall down. Right? Walking, especially on uneven terrain or in city landscapes, requires some attention. If your attention wanders, what's holding you accountable there? The universe? God? Asphalt? I don't know. The car? I mean, there's some intelligence. It's like, you don't get away with not paying attention, do you? You know, in, in parts of South America, I have a friend who spent a lot of time in the jungles there. He says uh, that um, one of the ways the natives will trap uh, monkeys is they'll take a really heavy gourd and hollow it out and put a hole in the top. And then they drop a banana in the hole and then they just leave it around and the monkey will reach in and grab the banana. But the hole is such that they can't get the banana out with a closed fist. They can only get their hand out with an open hand and no banana. And so the monkeys, poor guys, will drag these heavy gourds around with them thinking like, you know, they'll bring it back to, I don't know, wherever, someplace where they'll be able to get, you know, properly work on the gourd or finally get it out. And they're so caught up with their attention in this banana that they're easily captured and killed, eaten, whatever it is they do with monkeys. And so you could say like, okay, the monkey in one way, because of its lack of attention, is deserving, is earning its fate in that way. Uh, it's a trick, right? Who knows? Maybe one day isn't those, those monkeys, you know, the monkeys will evolve and the ones who are smart enough to take their hand out of the gourds uh, will evolve and reproduce. And, uh, you know, one day maybe we've got some cousins. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So evolution doesn't have to happen over generations, though it can happen in your own life. When you surrender to the accountability that whatever pain in your life is pain that is trying to get your attention, it's causing you some pain. But in a world where prescription opiates are the new uh, addiction problem and you can order just about any drug you want online without even having to get a prescription and you know, you can get a dopamine hit from your Facebook account anytime you want or Instagram or whatever. It's not just Facebook, right? There's like a dozen different social media ways to get a dopamine hit. In that instant gratification culture, we're not rewarded for having focus and attention and dedication. We're rewarded precisely for the opposite. And Dedication and commitment doesn't come without accountability, usually. Accountability to results, accountability to metrics. The person who tries the hardest doesn't win the gold medal. Is their trying admirable? Absolutely. But, I mean, God save us if we ever have an Olympics where people start getting medals for effort. (laughs) Participation trophies, right? Everyone gets a trophy. I grew up, many of us grew up in that. I remember being very confused. There was one year on the swim team where not everyone got a trophy. And then the next year, suddenly everybody got a trophy. And I'm looking at the trophy that I got, thinking this is less valuable now. This is less valuable. And the ones I put on my shelf were the MVPs and the you know, highest points or whatever. And the participation trophies, you don't put those on yourself. You get one every year. They go to Goodwill. 
and even goodwill won't take them. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that clear and open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.